Hey, good morning, congregation. Good morning. You ever um, have a scenario where um, you find yourself in the middle of a family squabble? Anyone? Uh, just imagine you're not part of the family, though. You, you are on the outside, and uh, someone's coming to you and, um, you know, complaining about their relative, and uh, they're doing this constantly, and you're always in here, right? You're always paying attention. And after a while of hearing this consistently, right, you get to the point where you're like, yeah, you know, I don't understand your brother. He's just, just ridiculous. You know, he's, he's just the worst person on the planet, you know? Or you, you find all sorts of negative and derogatory things to say. I mean, after a while, you've been hearing this for a while, right? You've been an ear, you've been sensitive, and you're taking heart to the person who's complaining, you know? And finally, you lash out, and you just say, oh, I, I just can't believe them. And all of a sudden, they look at you like, don't you talk about my brother like that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny, right? It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> It's a scenario that I find myself in, and um, you, you learn to grow a little sensitive, right? You don't talk about other people's family, because um, as much as uh, they may be expressing anger, maybe even hatred, whatever, range of emotions, you, uh, you know that that's a place that you're not able to touch, right? Um, uh, so it, it's common, it's well known for us to heed that and be wise in, in what we're doing when we're engaging uh, in another person's family. Um, but the sad thing is, and it has to be said, that type of wisdom isn't always applied to the church. That's not a wisdom that's always applied to the church. We understand that the family of Christ is a body. We know that very well. As a matter of fact, you can't be in Metropolitan. I know many other churches, perhaps this might not apply. But I know that you can't be a member or a person who sits in the pews of Metropolitan Baptist Church and not know that the church is a family. My first experiences walking into these doors were feeling that overwhelmingly. Feeling everyone come to you and say hello and people touch base with you and, and the pastor coming to you and finding out who you are and, and, and what you're doing here. Not in a bad way, but, you know, uh, in a good way. You know, hey, you know, thank you for coming. You know, I want to know why you're here. Is there anything we can do to serve you? Not like, hey, you found the wrong place. <laughs> um, but just the overwhelming feeling of being comforted. You know, this is something, again, a lot of churches don't know. A lot of churches don't teach. It's something that this church does well, something that this church teaches, something that this church is about. You know, it's family, family-oriented stuff. Um, but we understand that the church is a body, and that body is Christ. It's a family. The phrase, the body of Christ, is a common New Testament metaphor for the church. And this is referring to all those who are saved. The church is called one body in Christ in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, all being described as the body. The church is clearly equated with the body of Christ in, in other verses as well. Now, we understand with this term, the body of Christ, we know it also refers and deals with 
um, when Christ entered into this world. We know that he took on a physical body that was prepared for him. Um, and through this physical body, Jesus demonstrated the love of God in a clear and tangible way. Uh, and, and a lot of this is expressed in his sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus loved us with his body. When he rose, Christ continued to do work in the world through those who he had redeemed, the church, which now flushes out the love of God clearly and tangibly, just as he did in his physical body. So now he does with his spiritual body, the church. And the way the church functions, all of this points to the fact that we are indeed a family. We are indeed the body of Christ. The church may be called the body of Christ because of many different facts. Members of the body of Christ are joined to Christ in salvation. We are all saved. Members of the body of Christ follow Christ as their head. He exercises his lordship over us. We follow him and no one else. Members of the body of Christ are the physical representation of Christ in this world. The church we understand to be an organization is also an organism in which Christ manifests his life to the world. The dispense of the gospel comes by way of the body of Christ. Members of the body of Christ are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of Christ. Christ does not leave us. His spirit resides in us. And because of that, we are empowered to do his work. We don't do it out of our own flesh, but because we have been empowered by his spirit. He is with us. Members of the body of Christ possess a diversity of different gifts suited for different functions. We know that the body of Christ is a unit and it's made up of different parts. And all of these different parts form a body. Members of the body of Christ share a common bond with other Christians, regardless of background, race, or ministry. We understand that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for one another. There are other hosts of different ways and different facts that point to the body of Christ uh, being uh, members of the Members of the body of Christ share Christ's inheritance. Members of the body of Christ receive the gift of Christ's righteousness. And the purpose of the body of Christ externally is to fulfill the Great Commission. That Great Commission that we find in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 20. And as a Christian, we know that there is no grander and greater and more noble purpose for the church and to introduce others to our Lord and Savior. We do this in part making sure that we are faithfully representing him in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that he has called us to be. For we know that when Christ calls us, we are called to live for him. We are called to praise him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 exhorts us to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation. Whether we witness to people in our neighborhoods or send others to foreign lands, the church is called to manifest the Holy Spirit in us by embodying Jesus' character and telling others about him. The purpose of the church is to be the believer's spiritual family. It is through the church that God takes people with different personalities and gifts, unifies them, as a single body and equips them to care for each other and to reach the world. We know we're not meant to live the Christian life alone. 
we are called to be surrounded by sound biblical teaching and a loving community of the church so that together we may not only find, but to live faithfully in the purpose that God has called us into. And so we understand how important family is. And when we realize and we really sink into this, we know no one should dare ever talk about our family. They say blood is thicker than water. How much thicker is the blood of Christ that binds us together? That is the blood that binds us. All of us, different people. God unifies us. And so, having walked through the book of Romans for more than a year now as a church, we begin to understand and see that Paul's hope is not just to hit us with theology over the head, right? This isn't just merely an academic exercise that Paul is doing here. He's not trying to confound us with these weighty topics just so that we can find ourselves dizzy with all the grand ideas about who God is and how he saves us. We understand that there is a hope that he has. And that hope is that not only would we understand and know who God is, that, but that because of the fact that we know who God is, we would now be empowered and equipped knowing how to also faithfully love one another. The knowledge of God, theology, the things you hear in a sermon, the things you read in the, in the word of God, the stuff that theologians speak on, whether it be simple or complex, all of this, all of these things are brought to the end that you would also faithfully love him and serve him by loving one another. And so the theme for today is I am fully convinced I am right when I understand that God alone is the judge. God alone is the judge. Now, with this theme, we can be fully convinced about a great deal of topics concerning our faith. One of the books that we first read in our discipleship with uh, Pastor was a book, um, Doctrines That Divide. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Um, but in the book, there are doctrines that people have differences over, and it's uh, pretty interesting to look through um, and see the uh, differences and, and to be educated on those differences and uh, to determine where you stand in the midst of uh, a lot of those uh, conflicts and controversies and differences of opinions. Um, we understand that uh, there are some doctrines that are very clear, clearly spoken, clearly stated in the text of Scripture, things that you simply cannot ignore. We're almost on every page. Right? We understand about the gospel truth. We understand about a great deal of essential doctrines, as um, Sean was teaching on today. We understand that we cannot go against those things. These things are imperative for our faith. They are the bedrock. They are the foundation to all that we believe. Uh, and then there are some things that are quite difficult to understand, things that are a little bit more um, complicated, things that are probably less clear, things that require diligence and, and study and uh, a focus to really reach into. And, um, and then there are some things that are just really, really hard, things that are just really, really difficult. And um, I know personally there are some, um, some doctrines that um, I myself uh, either don't understand completely or um, are quite weighty and um, kind of on the gray side. And, you know, you can be here or there. And I kind of leave some, um, uh, some, some, 
some uh, space there to not be completely dogmatic on those things. But we do understand that in the midst of those gray areas, there's a place for grace amongst one another. That we not beat ourselves over the head about things that are not so clear. And that's what we see here in the text today. The text points to a difference of opinion of days amongst the believers. Now, according to Barnes' notes in the Bible, the word esteems originally has the idea of separating and then discerning in the act of judging. The expression means that one would set a higher value on one day than on another, or would regard it as more sacred than others. This was the case with the Jews, uniformly, who regarded the days of their festivals and and fasts and Sabbaths as especially sacred among other days, and would retain, to no considerable degree, um, their formal views, even though they had become converted to the new faith, Christianity. The Gentile Christian, having not been brought up amidst the Jewish customs, um, they wouldn't regard those days as, as having any special sacredness because they're not, they weren't raised in that. Uh, the appointment of those days had, had special reference to the Jews, and they were designed to keep them as a separate people and to prepare the nation for the reality for which their rights were but the shadow. They were a shadow. When the Messiah came, the Passover, the feasts of the tabernacles, and the other special uh, festivals of the Jews were, of course, vanished. And it is perfectly clear that the apostles never intended to include their observance on the um, Gentile converts. These are both interesting scriptures in, in, in the face of the fact that the Jews celebrate Saturday as their Sabbath and Christians celebrate Sunday as the Lord's day or or first fruits. But here we are told to be fully persuaded that what we are doing is pleasing to God. We are to celebrate with a clear conscience whatever day we esteem. Do it as unto the Lord. Each Christian must follow his own conscience in matters not specifically commanded or prohibited in Scripture. Since the conscience is a God-given mechanism to warn and responds to the highest standard of the moral law in the mind, it is not sensible to train yourself to ignore what the conscience has to say. Rather, to respond to its, its, its inklings, and as you mature by learning more, your mind will, will not be alert to those things that are not essential. This is why our minds are called to be renewed. This is why we read and why we study the Bible, so that we might test and see what is good and what is pleasing unto the Lord, so that our conscience are trained in moments where discernment is necessary, that our heart would beat and desire all the more to do what is pleasing and what is acceptable in the sight of our God. The pulpit commentary says, a general rule applicable to the whole walk to prove is to assert, ascertain by test and experiment, our whole walk should be directed to finding out what things are pleasing to Christ, rejecting at once everything that is not so, and clinging to all that is. We are not to follow the tradition of our people and not to take a vague view of duty. We are to prove the matter, to put to the test, for the supreme practical rule of the Christian's life must be to please Christ. Our posture isn't that we would try to see with how much we can get away with in this Christian life. 
I mean, at the end, you know, they, religion is so uptight, right? Religion is so stiff-necked. If maybe we can find a, or create a brand of Christianity that enables us to do kind of what we want and still be in the passing area, right? If 65 is passing, I'll get a 66, right? We don't want to achieve, we don't want to excel, we don't want to do anything that looks remarkable because at the end of the day, it's just a very bad look on the world. When all we do is talk about Christ and all we do is care about Christ and when uh, people have conversations with us, all we want to do is close with the gospel, right? Doesn't sound good, doesn't feel good to be in that. So you know what, hey, let's see how far we can go before it's acceptable. That's not our idea of what our faith is all about. I mean, at the end of the day, I say it before I say it again, if we are indeed in love, all right, what won't you do for the person you love? All right, um, Valentine's Day, do we just try to skim by our teeth and say, hey, here's the flowers and the chocolate, and say, I've been getting you this for 20 years. It should still be good. If you're still here, right? Not knowing it's like, you know, one foot out the door already, you know, chocolates again, yeah, flowers, oh, thank you. Right? No sensitivity, no desire to excel. I'm not speaking as one who, uh, you know, <laughs> let's just uh, say that. <laughs> but uh, our desire is always to excel, always to propel ourselves forward, to express and showcase more and more of the love that we feel and the love that is expressed towards us as we grow in godliness, as we see the depths of the love that God has for us. Right? We love him just for the fact that he saved us. We love him just for the fact that he has done a work in us. And then every day, every minute, every day, every minute, every second, there's something new to fall in love with all over again. And that posture doesn't enable us to say, well, 66 is good. Hey, right? Can I give you 110? Can I give you 200? So let's apply that to our conscience. Let's apply that to our decision makings when it comes to the things of God. Paul establishes that the conscience in these matters are what to be in view here. God is not so interested in the technicality of what day we celebrate. He is, in fact, um, more concerned with the fact that we do take time out and worship and set aside for him. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You see, from this, we understand that the day is not, it's not about the day, which day it's important, but the fact that we choose to worship God by assembling one day out of the week. Granted, we understand that there are uh, uh, biblical supports for why Sunday worship is done, but the most important thing is that we do indeed assemble as the body of Christ, as a family, the way God had intended, the way God had called us to. You know, the pandemic has done a great deal of damage to a lot of different facets of life. We understand, and if you drive around, there are businesses that are closed down. There are um, stores that, that are forced to do certain things. There are uh, a variety of different freedoms that we used to enjoy, uh, especially on a day like today, to uh, 
just freely get up and go out and go see a movie or, you know, a host of different things that the pandemic has put a, put a lot of an end to. Um, we know that the pandemic is uh, still kind of going on in full swing, and we still feel limited by that. Um, but one of the things that are not often talked about are the effects of the pandemic to the church. What happened during those months when churches were closed down, when members were, weren't able to see their family, their loved ones? They weren't able to connect. They weren't able to touch base. They weren't able to have iron sharpening iron. Praise God for technology. Praise God for technology. We were still able to hear the word of God. We were still able to listen and worship. All right? But imagine if that even that wasn't available. The island that it puts brothers and sisters on does damage. Does damage. And I don't think anyone can say that they weren't deeply affected by not being here on a Sunday and seeing their family and being able to worship and being able to touch base about a host of different problems and, and different circumstances, different things. To assemble, to join together as a body of Christ is all so important. For in that we honor and we glorify God. And that's what is in view here. That is what God is concerned about. The focus of Christian living is never to oneself. We are not individuals who come here for our own ends. We come here to please our sovereign Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were brought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Jesus brought us on the cross with his own precious blood. We are not our own. We belong to Jesus. We belong to the body of Christ. We belong to this family, every single one of us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 uh, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. See, we are Christians. We are Christians. We are a family. We are one. We are a body. And this body lives because Christ lives in you, lives in me, lives in us as a unit as a body. We belong to God. We see Paul express that, right? To live or die is to live or die for the Lord. To live or die is to live or die for the Lord. To really live for Christ, we must trust and submit to God's plan. We know for Paul it meant that to trust God's plan and purpose meant that he would not always know what it was God was planning and what God was doing in the moment. We find ourselves as Christians living this world that there are a host of different things that happen to us, right? Things that are unexpected, things that are tragic, sometimes things that are good, which who has a problem with that, right? <laughs> if good things come unexpectedly, that's great, right? But we are talking about tragic things, things that are just tough to bear and to deal with. But to really live 
for Christ acknowledges all of those things and recognizes that God is sovereign. The very Lord of this body is sovereign. And to recognize that all things are done for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We see this with many men in, in, of, of God and scripture, especially with those confronted with suffering. We see even Jesus prayed, take this cup of suffering from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. So he basically said, if there is any way to save the world, if there is any way to establish the body, the family of God, to enact and to fulfill your purpose without me having to suffer, yeah, let's go for it. But nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Whether through life or death, we are called to live for the Lord. To really live for Christ, we must depend on the body of Christ. We know that the body is often described as body parts and a variety of different things and different means, different ways. Um, and it's always expressed that some are the eyes, some are the hands, some are the feet, and we all function as a body. This is always conceptually, you know, in our heads and in our minds. And so sometimes to hear it would be to say, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, yeah, the eyes, I know, you know, your finger doesn't pluck its own eye, you know, that's part of the body, we all function together. Um, and yet, practically, right, we're looking all kind of dysfunctional here, aren't we, at times? Right? The hand slaps the other hand, the hand hits the foot, the hand pokes its own eye, right? The feet walk the body into a wall, right? The head bangs its head on the wall, right? A whole host of dysfunctional things. Now, if we see that practically, we're like, that person goes to the psych ward immediately, immediately, right? Immediately, something is not right there. <laughs> something is wrong. And yet, I think, at times we can think that this is a normal thing, that this is the way it should be. Well, you know, these church folk, what they do to each other, they eat their own, you know. But we know that that's not the way things should be, especially since we have the Lord as our head and we have our instructions before us in the text of Scripture. We understand how we ought to conduct ourselves and how we ought to act in the midst of a world that is always looking for an excuse to not receive the truth and not see the light. We got to do better. We have to do better. We have to recognize that it, what would enable us to do better is not only the desire to honor and please the Lord with the way that we treat each other, but to recognize perpetually that we depend on one another. We need one another. Christian walk isn't done in isolation. No one walks this walk by themselves. Right? When you walk by yourself, you get jumped. Right? No one, no one does this by themselves. The body wasn't designed to operate with individuals. The body was meant to function in unity. And that's what we're called to. And because we didn't create this thing, we have no choice. 
to change it up. We are not sovereign. We are not the Lord. God is. So whether we like it or not, we're family. <laughs> and we need each other. We must depend on the body of Christ. To really live for Christ, we must exalt Christ in everything that we do. Every single thing that we do. We must consider what God is pleased with. We must consider what God finds pleasurable. What God has called us to do. And we must do all those things to exalt his name. It should be our passion and our desire in life to make him known. To preach and teach and to live the gospel. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Because what you're passionate about would be the thing you do. The thing that you think about constantly. The thing that you dream about. The thing that you take steps and make sacrifices for. What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about making his name known? Are you passionate about who he is in your life? What he is consistently doing for you and your family? What are you passionate about? You know, people who go to a restaurant and really had a great experience, you know, they're, uh, they're always, you know, really happy to be able to, you know, tell other people about the good time they had there. Um, I don't normally write reviews for uh, places or establishments that I go to because um, I'm just lazy, right? Um, but if a place was particularly good, it might actually compel me to actually write something. It won't be long, and the stars will be up, but I'll actually do it, <laughs> right? Christian life looks like a group of people, a family, who have experienced this life-changing life-altering, beautiful experience with their Savior and are so passionate about their experience they have no choice but to always have to say something about it. Hey, did you see the Super Bowl? That Tom Brady is something else. Yeah, Tom Brady did good, but let me tell you something. You know, I have to tell you, when I was in church on Sunday, right? Hey, Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know Super Bowl Sunday. It's once a year, though. I go to church Sunday every, you know, four Sundays out of the year, you know, sometimes five, you know. There's always something trans transformative happening to me, you know. Every day, Christ walks with me. The Holy Spirit is in me. He's always doing something miraculous. Let me tell you something else, right? My father, um, a couple of days ago, he, uh, his car broke down. And uh, he was like, hey, do you have AAA still? And I was like, oh, no, I don't know if I have it, you know. So made the calls. I don't have it, you know, because I didn't pay. Uh, and uh, so I was like, oh, man, I have to call him back and tell him he has to find another way. So I called him, and he said, oh, look, the car just started, you know. The car started. Now, ordinarily, like, oh, that's great. All right, the car started, and then you go about your way. He couldn't help but to say, isn't God good? Look at what God did. God started the car. Later on, we'll talk about AAA, but God is good. What he, what he did. He's the one that started the car. Now, any unbeliever would say, well, maybe the car just started working by itself. Uh, maybe you needed gas. I don't know. You give a host of different explanations, right? Maybe some of those things are true, not true. Ultimately, my father decided to give glory to God. 
Now, this sounds like a man in love. Right? And I know we talk that way, right? When we talk about our Savior. But to do that, it takes something really, truly remarkable. And Brother Nick was mentioning and spoke on this today. Um, to really live for Christ, we must properly view eternity. We must properly view eternity. Hey, if this life was all we had, if this life was all we had, then our thing would be to do as much as we can and do whatever it is that we want with the life that we have. Our time is limited. But we understand that there is a life that is outside of this. There is a God that we must face. There is an eternity with our Savior. There is a satisfaction. There is a joy unparalleled that awaits us. And so we look at life and we look at death and we act accordingly. What does that mean? It means that with our life, with the decisions that we make in time, in eternity, in, in, uh, in, in the space of time, that we consider our conduct, that we know that we have to act accordingly, we have to act a certain type of way. But it also enables us to look at death differently as well. We don't look at, the, we don't look at death as the end. We don't look as, at death with a stinger, something that would hurt us. But we, uh, as the text of scripture say, look at death and say, where is your sting? Where is your sting? We as Christians can live with a hope and an expectation that when death does come, whatever day it does, that this is only just the beginning. This is only just the beginning. And that's what it truly means to live for Christ, that we have a proper view on eternity. We must also focus on discipleship if you live for Christ. In the flesh, it's the hardest thing to do to submit yourself to someone, to be underneath someone, to have someone tell you what to do, tell you you're not doing it right in whatever loving way that they can. Right? They tell you you got to do better. It's the hardest thing, the hardest thing in the flesh. The fact of the matter is we live for Christ, and our focus is on growing all the more into godliness. In order to really live for Christ, we must focus on discipleship. Christ discipled others, and so we must also in, how, in, in our walk and our following him. And this is because we have been redeemed and purchased by his blood. And it can never be said enough. The fact that we are here today is because a purchase has been made, a transaction. From life, from death to life. We don't sit as people who are blind. We don't sit as people in darkness and loving the darkness. We sit in people as people who understand and know what light is, who understand and know what truth is, and are able to make sound decisions because of the text of Scripture and the Holy Spirit that resides in us. And we must take hold and make use of every means of grace that God gives us so not only would we glorify God as individuals, but as a family that God has intended, as the body of Christ. And so in conclusion, let us leave each of us fully convinced that we are right when we accept the high calling of loving God's church. Let us pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord. Lord, you have saved us. You have redeemed us. You have brought us into your family, O God. And it's not just us, but a multitude of people, Lord, out in the world of different backgrounds, races, and experiences in life. And you've done this, Lord, because it is your will. And who are we to say anything outside of that? The fact that we have a family, that this family is, is a bond that is so tight because you, oh God, have deemed it to be so. It's something that we should truly appreciate and love and not be hostile toward it or be negative towards it or, or to hate it. For who hates his own body? You, O oh Lord, have loved us in such a tremendous way. May we be passionate about pursuing your glory by building up your body, by building up your church. Lord, may we continue to grow in godliness, Lord, so that we can, before the world, showcase your beauty. God, that the gospel will go forth in power and in unity of the church as you have designed it. Help us make that our passion. Lord, let us be enabled to do so with all the zeal, Lord, that we can muster. Because God, to do that, it would be to honor you and to glorify you. And we do indeed love you for all that you have done for us. We thank you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.